How could you not get behind a team called the Devils? Come on. No, I, no, well, listen, yeah, the I Tennessee did. Devils, they're a great team. <laughs> Wait, does Tennessee well, have a team? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Where Tennessee is Titans, NFL team. Hello. Hey, I like that. Hello, the sir. Hey, there's... Yeah, we're just Excellent. talking about... <clears throat> I don't know what were we talking about. Sports. Yeah. That's why, yeah. Sports. Yay, sports. <laughs> Go team. Go sports. <laughs> Rob's like, please, 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 please stop talking sports. Please, No, please. no, I'm, I'm terrible. It's all, it's all, it's all you good. heard him. Go sports. Yeah, Go no, I'm totally. I, sports. I, I, this is where I pick up everything that I know about uh, sports. <laughs> listening to you guys talk. Go ball. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that sound bite. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, don't worry. I'm making a whole collection. I bet. Um, within a year, it's going to be, I'm going to release an audio book from, the, by, from by Liz. Just be six hours of saying, of Liz saying, I like hairy balls. And that's just chapter one. That's right. <laughs> Recording in progress. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. This is, of course, the, that was really loud. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. A, my name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, the cantankerous Ryan Fleury. Hello again. The cheerful Steve Barkley. We. And the candid Liz Malone. Greetings, everyone. See, I know I, I, I left out the adjectives last week, so I was made sure that I came, with, came up with some this week because I didn't want to get called out on it. Those are some pretty fancy adjectives. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it, this, today's theme was C, so I don't know if you noticed that. That was a little, some extra I threw in for free. Excellent. Uh, hey, how is everybody? Fantastic. Are you supposed to say cheerful? You fail the test. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've already caught not paying it attention. Set you guys up. What else do you need? <laughs> really, I'm gonna have to email you guys before the show. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hey, listen. Uh, before we go sideways, um, Ryan, I'm really excited about today's episode. I want you to tell everybody why we're here and who we're talking to. Sure. So why we are here is because one of our listeners, and I'm not naming names, well, yes, I am, Bev, sent us an email asking us to talk about being blind, having diabetes, and the accessibility or lack thereof of insulin pumps and apps. So we have two guests joining us from the CNIB. First, we have Kat Hamilton, who is the Senior Manager of Advocacy and Public Education, and she is also leading the work on accessible insulin pumps. So we're glad to have you with us, Kat. Nice. Thanks for having me today. Glad Thanks. to be here. Perfect. Thanks. And also joining us from the CNIB is Ryan Huey, who is a blind diabetic who has contributed to many podcasts about diabetes and has also done advocacy work with Diabetes Canada. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here, and I can't wait to uh, tell you what I know or what I think I know. <laughs> well, you definitely know more than we do. So... <laughs> Sure. Well, why don't we just start with uh, maybe um, Ryan and Kat, maybe you could just start out telling us a little bit about yourself and just um, how you guys got involved in this. Sure. It's Ryan here, so I can uh, kick things off. I am a 35-year-old type 1 diabetic, uh, and I've had diabetes since the age of 7. Uh, I'm currently living with diabetes retinopathy, uh, which I have very, very limited eyesight. And that sort of happened 10 years ago. Uh, went to bed one night. I was completely fine. Wore 
reading glasses, drove home and woke up the next morning and was uh, completely blind almost. And uh, my retinas had just detached overnight. Uh, I currently use a Medtronic pump and I also use the Libre sensor on my, I guess, tricep to test my blood sugar. Uh, I'm very, very um, into the accessibility and keeping good care of uh, my diabetes. And I, I just love chatting about it. I could chat all day about it. And uh, some of the things that we're trying to accomplish within the CNIB and nationally and internationally. But uh, as far as um, we're aware and as far as we've kind of done some research and stuff, there is not an accessible insulin pump on the market for those with any type of vision loss. So we're looking to change that. We're looking to get something on the market, whether it's an app, whether it's a, a pump, whether it's some sort of additional device that would give me the freedom to uh, to, to use my pump myself uh, independently and not depend on people through FaceTime or sighted people to have to be around kind of thing. And so, so what about you, Kat? Uh, how, did, how did you sort of get involved in, in this? Yeah, so I... Um... I, I'm from the UK originally, and I, I used to work for RNIB. So for those who don't know, the Royal National Institute for Blind People in uh, the original London. And um, yeah, I was working there, as I said, about 10 years ago. And even back then, we would have people call into our advocacy hotline to say, it, it was more of an inquiry at that point, like, you know, hey, you're RNIB. I live with diabetes and sight loss. Um, I, you know, can you tell me what pumps are out there that are accessible? And when we looked into it, there wasn't an accessible pump for people, and uh, it was it was kind of like we didn't really have anything to advise people of at the time, and just said, you know, unfortunately, good luck, and we'll support any advocacy efforts. Um, and then obviously, fast forward a few years to about two or three years ago now, where um, we were starting to get calls from people coming into us, you know, very similar questions. And I we kind of sat down and thought, you know, it's been 10 plus years. I mean, it's been many years really since the, what, what would you say, like 20 years since insulin pumps were originally introduced. And this is still an issue that we're dealing with. And, and as Ryan mentioned, um, you know, in the US, it's the, the leading cause of sight loss, I believe, in, in working age adults is diabetes. So there's such a huge connection between the two communities. And uh, it just, it blows my mind that in this day and age, we're still having this discussion. So um, so I, I don't have lived experience of, of diabetes, but I do have diabetes in my family. So it's uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart as well as well as being an advocate for, for these kind of issues in the disability world. So I just want to take a, a step back for a minute, just for people who maybe aren't familiar with, with what we mean when we talk about an insulin pump, could, could someone sort of walk us through exactly what we're talking about? Like how, what are they and, and how do they work? Absolutely. I have no problem doing that. So I'm currently connected to one right now. And it's about the size of a 1994 pager. And about every three days, you have to refill an insulin tube in it with insulin and then change your spot. What the pump does is it's a mini computer and it has a small screen on it. And there's about mine has one, two, three, four, five, six buttons on it. None are labeled. They make noises when you when you touch them. But I can inject myself with insulin uh, based on how many carbohydrates I'm eating. And that's at each meal. The great thing about a pump is that it continually pumps insulin into you. So through your diabetes team with your nurse educators and your endocrinologist, they come up with this ratio. It's called a basal ratio. And they determine how many units of insulin you need in a 24 hour period. Mine is really easy. I need 24 units of insulin in a 24 hour period. So my pump knows to pump me full of one unit per hour. Um, most people's aren't that complicated or aren't that easy, I guess I should say. And what happens with the insulin pump is that if you are sighted and you can read the screen, you don't have to figure out anything. So I have what's called a carb ratio. Every seven grams of carb I eat at breakfast, 
I have to inject one unit of insulin. So pretty easy math. I have to do that in my head. But for younger children or people that just don't like math, you can type in the amount of carbs into your pump and it will figure it out for you. I can't do that because I can't see the screen and there's no audio and there's, there's no beeps or anything to do that. Uh, another thing that the, the pump does is the newer ones, you can actually hook a continuous blood glucose monitor up to it and you can have it send your sugars to the, the pump so it knows if you ate a whole bag of Sour Patch Kids, it needs to work overtime kind of thing. Whereas I have to test and then just do it on my own kind of thing. Pretty much, if you want to break it down, my insulin pump right now for a person uh, living with diabetic retinopathy that can't see is a fancy insulin syringe. It just pumps me full of insulin all the time, and I can't use any of the features. So I guess my ignorance, not having anyone who is a type 1 diabetic in the family, with your insulin pump, you still then have to monitor the amount of carbs that you're you're taking in. Like you can't just go have three sausage and egg McMuffins at McDonald's and let the pump do its job. You still have to kind of figure that out on your own. Yeah, that's correct. So the, the way that I was taught um, with my endocrinologist, he said, you can go have a piece of cake. You can't eat the whole cake. Um, if you look at diabetes as a teeter totter, on the left-hand side, we have sugar and carbs and food. On the right-hand side, we have insulin. You have to keep them equal. So the more food you eat, the left hand of the teeter-totter goes up. Then you have to counteract that by upping your insulin so your right hand goes up. Then vice versa, right? If you take too much insulin, you might have to sometimes add sugar. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a very simplistic approach to diabetes. But when I was a young child, that's how they, they kind of taught me what I needed to do. So I can still have pizza if I get diabetes. Absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> Everything in moderation. Thanks. Is that, is that your number one concern about diabetes, uh, Ryan? Well, I'm already blind, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what? talk to us a little bit about the pumps themselves. Are there a lot of different ones on the market that have a variety of different bells and whistles? in a variety of different price ranges or are they pretty much all sort of the same? An insulin pump is lavishly expensive. Uh, the one I'm currently wearing, I've had for about eight years and eight years ago, it was thank goodness covered by a, a provincial program here in Ontario, but it was $17,000. So I can only imagine what a pump costs now. Um, and I know different countries have even different provinces within Canada um, where I live have different coverages, whether it's covered, it's not, uh, that sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's disheartening because I think there should be a, a national landscape uh, within Canada and within the U.S. where people shouldn't have to, one, pay for insulin or pay for the device that's actually giving it to you. There has to be some sort of coverage there or there has to be some sort of something that could offset the cost um there are a few different pump manufacturing companies out there and for the most part i would say the pumps have really the same features on it some differ a little bit but it's pretty much like your choice of cell phone they all do text messaging they all do calls you can all search you know facebook and do stuff like that so it's just it it depends on what you kind of want some attached to your arm some attached to your abdomen uh but for the most part it's a pump is a pump it just does a little bit of the different features kind of thing so now what's your what's your sort of sense of how hard would it be to make these devices accessible um, you know, wh whether that's haptics or, or e at least tactile buttons, or even it sounds like even like the different beeps and sounds and alarms that it makes, if they could differentiate those. My dream device wouldn't even be an insulin pump. If I'm being honest, it would be an app on my phone that I could just do everything from. I mean, we can do banking. We can do some pretty sensitive stuff on our phone, but we can't administer insulin. Um, I can track my blood sugars on my phone. I can test my blood sugar with my phone, but I can't administer insulin. Uh, I think it's really easy. And I think we're almost there because, you know, with voiceover and with some other features that are already added into Apple devices, the heavy lifting is done. It's just make the app and connect it Bluetooth to my pump. 
uh, a lot of the pushback that we have gotten from pump manufacturers is that they thought we wanted to retrofit an entire pump and they'd have to add the voice and do this and do that and take this off the market. And with healthcare, it's a little different because there is a lag time. So even if you put a headphone jack on my pump uh, or change something that doesn't even matter about the medication administration, it's a two-year waiting period to get it back on the market. So I think that's where part of the, I guess, angst comes in amongst these companies. And uh, it, I mean, it, it would be very easy to even just, you know, like some have tactile buttons, but you know, the move to touchscreen, everything is touchscreen now, all the phones, even your microwave doesn't have tactile buttons on it, right? There's there's a lot of different things that that don't anymore. And I think that's uh, another push is the, that you know it's it's not so much just the pump itself it's even doing the administration part for me to change the the insulin for me to change the the red uh it's like an iv so we, we call it the 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 infusion kit and the infusion site uh, i have to go back and forth left to right about every three to four days depending on how poorly i eat you know you get that pizza going you might have to change your pumps a little bit more often because you're taking more insulin but uh, th th there's just a lot of things that you have almost have to depend on someone with vision. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about about the work that CNIB is doing, um, because you you guys have sort of been um, involved in in this advocacy work for a few years. What kind of response have you got? Yeah, so it's it's really varied. Like I often feel like from the community perspective whatever issue we take up, there's normally people that think it's an important issue and people that think that, you know, why is CNIB wasting their time on this? Um, and I know we're on the right track when everyone in the community is like, yes, this is an issue and please deal with this. So I would say from the community perspective, it's been 100% support and um, we're always looking for people to come and uh, join us on this venture and and see you know how we can change things um from you know the the government side of the house um that's been more challenging especially during covid trying to um navigate conversations with health canada and uh, and health ministries that's that's been trickier and you know understandably we haven't been top of the the invitation list to to meet with politicians but we have had some good conversations around um perhaps even advocating for having you know when these devices come to market in canada that there is a checklist somewhere that they assess if there's accessibility in these devices and and if not then you know i'm not saying it doesn't get approved but the manufacturer has to make some commitments there to uh, to improve that. Um, and then I, I guess, you know, as Ryan was saying, with with the manufacturers, they're, they're not thinking what's happening this year. They're thinking what's happening five years down the line in their, um, in their product lines and, and what the, the next big thing is. So they, they've been supportive, I must say. I, I don't think any manufacturers are out there that that don't want to make their product better especially you know if they can have a an edge on their competitors in the market then then why wouldn't you do that but i think it's more trying to steer a really big ship that's moving really slowly to see how we can make those improvements further down the line and just to add to that, you can re we've had a few town hall meetings where we've invited pump companies and things like that. And you can really tell a lot by who the pump company sends. A lot of times we get marketing people when we need the engineers. We need the people that are behind the scenes and, and can invoke change. Uh, not to take anything away from the marketing people, but they don't really have anything to do with the design. Uh, and it's it's really telling when you get um, a series of you know maybe three or four pump companies, but they're all marketing people. Yeah, and it's it seems interesting because you you kind of are attacking this with two different prongs. You know, you're sort of talking to the manufacturers as well as trying to change uh, policy with with Health Canada. And it seems to me that 
that's sort of the one that's that's the big fix. If they lay down the law and say, look, in order to, to for these devices to be approved, they need to have at least X amount of accessible components to, so that somebody can, can navigate this um, without assistance, um, you know, that's gonna, that, you know, that's gonna solve problems right across the board. But, it, but I, it's true, I can see that going after the manufacturers could be really beneficial too, because you're absolutely right. Like all it's gonna take is one manufacturer to, to, to say, take up this issue and make those changes and then all of a sudden they have a leg up on their competitors and that could be really powerful to to a company well and i think the real kicker as well for us and uh, our partners in the us have also faced this that um, a lot of the pumps have what's called a contra indication through health canada so what that means is that they deem it's not safe for certain patient groups to use i think you know so so people don't get sued if someone uses that product who's on the contraindication list and uh, and then something bad happens to them. But the problem is that a lot of the pump manufacturers have put down that their pumps are not recommended for use for people that are blind. So that that is just something that I, I just don't understand that in this day and age that we're kind of saying that it's not safe for people instead of thinking outside the box with a design mindset, like how can we improve this? Yeah, well, especially because it's not like these pumps are, are new technology. They've been around for years and years and there's been plenty of time to, you know, to come up with new generations of devices that maybe do have some sort of accessibility component. And it's not like, you know, you know, blindness and, and diabetes is a newly formed connection. This has all been, around for years and years and years. So I, you know, I'm kind of with Steve, I'm, I'm really shocked that we're sort of fighting this battle in 2022. And just to put this into perspective for you guys. So with me, this is my personal experience with the pump. Um, we just had daylight savings uh, not too long ago. My pump is still an hour behind because I can't set the time by myself. I can't see the time. I don't have that option available to me. So, okay, fine. An hour isn't a big deal. But if I travel to Europe where it's, let's say, six hours ahead, that's a big deal if I can't change my pump time. I can't even tell you how much battery life is left in my pump right now. Uh, it could be ready to die or it could be, you know, fully charged. There's, there's so many different things just accessibility-wise that aren't being met. And then my endocrinologists have a great team, uh, my diabetes educating nurses that help me out. They've done a lot of studies with me and we found out that I can only use 11% of the functions on my pump. Like, could you imagine if I handed you a cell phone and be like, okay, well you can make telephone calls with this and that's it. But here's a brand new smartphone. That's pretty much what the pump companies are, are saying to, to someone like me, you know, wow. here, use our pump, but 11% of it, that's it. So is there any way to interface it with a computer or your smartphone and, and change date and time by using an app or a computer interface? Or can an administrator remote into it, kind of like they do with CPAP machines, they can monitor it, make settings changes, that type of thing? So to the best of my knowledge, there there's not, but there are some, for mine, my, my pump's a little bit old, but for some of the newer ones, there is something that is not regulated through any health uh company or any health, um, you know, like health Canada or anything like that, but their people have hacked into some, some pumps and they're, they're able to control some with the, with their phone. Right. But the scary thing about that is it's not tested. It's, it's kind of, you're taking a chance. Um, what if it conks out that sort of thing? Um, what if they change the security and you're no longer in there? So there are people that do do that, um, in Canada and the U S but, uh, it, it shouldn't have to come to that kind no. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, so have to reverse engineer it to get it to work in the first place. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of response have you got from some of the manufacturers? Because it seems to me that that an app would sort of solve a, a, a bunch of different problems, as well as, I mean, I don't know, like you, there are apps where you can, you can connect your fridge to an app, like everything has a, an app associated with these day, these days. So I'm kind of surprised that 
that they aren't more excited about that. But why, why are they kind of lukewarm on the, or are they lukewarm on, on the whole app idea or just slow to, slow to develop something? So great question. And some companies are, and some companies aren't. Um, we've had some discussions with some, and uh, I personally had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So I have to be careful what I, what I say and don't say, because this is like their patents and, and things like that. But there are a couple of companies that are working seriously on an app right now. Uh, it's just not there yet. Uh, and there are some apps out there that do connect to pumps, but you cannot administer insulin from them. It's more so Oh, you can just enter your your blood sugar and the amount of food you're going to eat, and it will tell you how much insulin you're supposed to to give yourself. But you still have to use the inaccessible portion of the pump to pump that insulin. So it's is it really helping anything? Kind of thing. It's more just for tracking purposes, I guess. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I think some of the apps that are, are either in development or are out there in the market are still very kind of visual based, like. Yeah, you can look at the details on the app, but it's still in like a graph format and um, it can be challenging, I think, for people. And I think in some of the conversations that we've had around the question, you know, is the app accessible? They don't always know the answer straight away if if the app, they say, you know, we hope so. And, you know, I'm sure we keep to all the guidelines out there, but it's... Uh, it's not always the the band-aid solution that we hope it will be. Yeah, Kat, you're absolutely right. Um, and I sometimes forget that because I can't see the graphs on there. I just, uh, I have tried a couple of the apps and there was graphs everywhere. Even some of the uh, blood sugar testing apps are, I mean, the buttons are accessible and you can actually test the blood sugar, but it pops up um, in a graph. And I don't know what that means unless you turn on the the feature that, some of them have built in sort of voiceover features, uh, which is great because it'll say, oh, your blood sugar is, you know, 5.4 or, or whatever it might be. And, and that uh, really, really is helpful. But there's a lot of um, graphs and data that I would love to have access to, but I just don't know how they would make that accessible, right? I guess it's more for my endocrinologist and pump team, because uh, I would say all of them have a site and I would I don't want to be remiss here, but I, I don't. I don't. I think most teams across the country probably are similar to that. Sure. How big is the actual landscape for the manufacturers for these pump devices? Because I, I, I honestly, I, I mean, this is a new new area for me, um, like most of us on the show. But so uh, I'm just curious. I have no idea how many manufacturers are and, and how many different models there are floating out there right now. So it, that's kind of um, a difficult question to answer because some are covered and some aren't. So in Ontario, where I live, you have about four pump manufacturing companies where you can get coverage for your pump, but there's only about four choices there, but that's not the only pumps that they offer. Those are just the ones that have been covered under a provincial health program. Uh, there's obviously more variety in the US. There's a few pumps on the market there that aren't in Canada. Um, the, by by I, I would say the, the biggest pump manufacturing company to this date is Medtronic uh, in worldwide, uh, and they're billions. They're, they're all kinds of healthcare, but with, especially with the, uh, with, with the, the, the pump, it's, uh, they've really been doing a lot, and they've been putting out pumps for 15, 20 years. So there's quite a lot of models, but a lot of them don't work now. There's maybe mine is about as old as you can kind of go back, but just picture like, could you actually picture using a cell phone that's five years old? Uh, probably not, right? Or you'd have some struggles. So it's uh, it's it's kind of one of those questions. It's just they keep getting better with more features and more this and more glitz and more gra uh, glamour, but uh, they're they're just missing the accessibility and the universal design mark. Do any of them have in the interim as they're hopefully developing a more accessible type of pump. Do any of them have accessibility helplines at least so that you have someone within the company that can maybe walk you through or guide you uh, at least as kind of putting a crappy Band-Aid on a big laceration, but at least some sort of support in any way? They do. Unfortunately, it's not like FaceTime or anything. It's more so over the telephone, right? So I would still have to have someone with vision 
here mm-hmm. with me because I, I mean, it only takes, you know, I'm supposed to press down four times. I press it five and I don't know where I am. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's no help there. Right. And the last thing I want to do is be changing how much insulin I'm getting at three in the morning when I'm sleeping, uh, kind of thing, instead of me just changing the time. But th- th- it's been very helpful. Um, like I said, I'm with Medtronic and th- their helpline has been very, very helpful. It's just, unfortunately, you still have to have sort of a sighted person present. So, I mean, it sounds like, like, I mean, these pumps sound like they're, they're amazing technology and it, it's really improved a lot of people's lives who live with diabetes except for the fact that like i'd be terrified like if if you know you have this device strapped to you that you really uh you you can't see and and you're just you're kind of i mean does that affect you like are you ever like terrified of just hitting the wrong button or hitting it too many times or and, and then you're just you know you're screwed i am the thing that terrifies me most though is that all of the uh, for my particular pump, all of the chimes are the same. So it could be telling me, oh, you have low insulin. Oh, your battery is low. Oh, the temperature is too cold outside. You're walking around. You need to get inside. Your pump's too cold. All of them sound the same. So it's a guessing game. You know, like you can kind of make an educated guess. Oh, it's about day two and a half. I probably need to change my insulin. Whereas I haven't changed my battery in a month because it's literally old school. You put in a, a double A battery and and that's that's how you 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 kind of do it. Right. But it's just, I've had some close calls. There's been times where no one's available on FaceTime. I was traveling for work one time and I was alone in a hotel room and my pump started making noise. I'm like, Oh my goodness, what, what's going on? I, I have no idea. Am I getting insulin? Am I not getting insulin? And there, you know, it, it's luckily I was okay. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, but uh, you know, there, that, that wouldn't happen if there was just an app that could tell me or even the pump had some built-in accessibility feature so that I knew what it was trying to tell me because it's not just going crazy for the fun of it right it's trying to tell me something well and that's the really infuriating part is that I mean that wouldn't even be a hard fix just making different chimes or alarms for different issues like that's that's not at all a, a hard design feature to to start building into the the new generation no, absolutely. If you're preaching to the choir, that's uh, one of the the strong recommendations we've made too. Is like even if you make the app, still give it an option of you know, hey, changing uh, the these features to even uh, vibrate and uh, a vibrate and and sound, so a person that is deaf will, would also be able to use the pump or hard of hearing. Yeah, and it's not like there aren't enough things that can go wrong in the system as it is, like. You know, and, and when things go wrong, they can go wrong quickly. For you know, my, my son's a type one diabetic and, you know, every now and then he'll, he'll put on a pod and it says it's operating, but it's not. So you've got to be, you've got to be very careful when you're using these things too. I've tried out the pod. Uh, I'm curious, do you, and uh, pardon me if I'm being too personal, but do you fill the pod for him? No, no, he doesn't, but he's sighted. Right. So just watch him next time and picture someone without sight trying to stick the needle into that small little hole. Oh, yeah. To, to fill no, it absolutely. with it. It's, it's, it's impossible. Like, yeah. I, I hate to say things are impossible, but it's impossible. I stabbed my fingers so many times I couldn't even use it. I just, I, I gave up. Huh. That's another design feature because that, that's not the only pump that has something similar to that where it, the hole is so tiny that you can't use anything but a syringe. Like I even tried to use a, a, a an insulin pen, but the needles weren't, I guess, hard enough or you know strong enough to, to oh, yeah. make it through the rubber. So it's uh, it, it's it's a really difficult thing to to get in there. Are pumps sort of your only option? Like if if you really didn't feel comfortable in, in using one of these pumps, and you're you're a diabetic, could you just could you go the old school route, school route these days and, and just do needles? Yes, absolutely. We should uh, make that distinction because there, there are treatments out there where you can just take, um, you know, insulin injections, whether it's two, four or more times a day. Uh, pumps are definitely not for everybody, but um, it's a continuous drip of insulin just as in a non-diabetic, there's a continuous drip of insulin from their pancreas. Right. So it's, uh, it, it, it does uh, for me, it's changed my life, uh, for the better. Uh, my sugars are not that they were out of control, but they're even in better control than they were before. 
um, the pump just makes it easy, right? And it gives you a little bit more freedom to eat what you want. You don't have to feel guilty about having that McDonald's once a week. Whereas, you know, you, you kind of got to figure out some things when you're, when you're doing the, uh, the, the insulin needles. So the way it kind of works is, uh, you usually do fast acting insulin when you're eating. So let's say breakfast, I have to do insulin uh, about maybe 20 minutes before I eat that only stays in my system for about three hours. So after that three hours, let's say I get caught up in a work meeting and I don't eat lunch till three. There's no insulin in my system for almost five hours there, whereas the pump would be pumping me full of insulin and keeping, even though I'm not eating, keeping me on a steady kind of less roller coaster ride for my sugars. So that's kind of the, the benefit of a pump uh, as opposed to um, just doing the, the insulin injections. And I did them for years. Uh, like I said, it's only been about 10 years that I've been on a pump. So I, I've been doing them for, for years and years. And you're probably, your body's not going through such a, a roller coaster ride um, with, with a pump because it's, it's keeping everything level. That's the idea. But like our discussion, right? You know, you can eat a piece of cake, you can't eat the whole cake. Uh, there's some people that try to take advantage of it. And they think, you know, hey, I'm not a diabetic, because I got a pump. Well, no, you're very much still a diabetic. Um, you still got to be a little bit careful on, as to what you're what you're ingesting. So could you talk to us a little bit about this idea of the hybrid closed loop system? And, and what, what is that? And, and what's the implications of, of uh, a pump like that? Uh, mine doesn't have it, right? So uh, it's kind of a newer thing where I believe that's where you can have the continuous blood glucose monitor hooked up to your pump. So it says, oh, Ryan's sugar is a little high. I need to automatically pump uh, insulin to, to bring him down. There's the kind of called a correction factor. So for every let's say every um, 0.5 that I'm over uh, a certain sugar, it will pump me full of uh, a little bit of insulin. Um, mine doesn't do that. Like I said, mine's a fancy insulin pen. I still have to test my blood sugar all the time and, and kind of um, adjust my, my own uh, insulin uh, by myself kind of thing. So it sounds like it's, it's a little more hands-off in terms of it. It's just doing everything for the person. Yes and no. Um, it's really great when you're, you know, you're traveling, you might not have access to your pump, you're on a plane for, you know, six hours, or when you're asleep. Um, I don't wake up at three in the morning just to randomly test my blood sugar. But if you have that closed loop system, it's continually doing it for you every, let's say five minutes or so. So it kind of keeps a, a much better eye. Um, it's just, it, you know, the, the newer pumps are very expensive and very inaccessible, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, I couldn't imagine trying to set that up by myself when I have a hard enough time setting this old school pump up by myself. That was kind of my next question is, you know, is that the reason you haven't upgraded to a newer technology or a newer pump? Because you're familiar with this one and you can kind of do what you need to do. That's exactly it. So I have um, remembered how many buttons I need to press to get to sort of where I am, right? And if I feel uncomfortable with where I am, I'll usually FaceTime someone and say, hey, what does the what does my pump say? I mean, not ideal, but it's a pretty good backup plan if, if you need to, to know exactly what's on the, the screen of your pump. But um, that just having the to memorize everything and how to change my infusion set, how to, how to do that kind of thing. It's, it's, uh, it, it took a long time. That's for sure. I was very uncomfortable doing it for years, but then I just had to take the reins one day and, and it, it has worked out, um, for, for better or for worse, knock on wood. Well, and then, and then, you know, even once we do solve the accessibility issue with these pumps, it sounds like we still have the affordability factor uh to to fight for as well um because they're, they're obviously these devices just they, they need some funding behind them yeah and i i really feel for those people that you know live outside of ontario um where there might be a lacking coverage or no coverage um i and i know that, that uh, it's different all around the world right uh i i don't want to say i've been told that i have to live in ontario but if i were to move to a different province i would lose my funding for my pump and I, I don't think I could afford it, right? Um, it's it's you're you're literally purchasing a used car at that price, and it's uh, 
you know, the, I don't know if there's financing and stuff available, but uh, it, it's just, uh, they're, they're really, really expensive. Great tool. It's just not a lot of people, you know, have $17,000 just laying around that. Yeah, let's go buy a pump today, you know, impulse buy. So Kat, is that something that CNAB has, has been addressing with Health Canada or manufacturers across the country when it comes to funding? Um, so we've definitely been supportive of that, you know, for, for obvious reasons, but uh, thankfully, you know, the, the diabetes organizations like JDRF and um, Diabetes Canada have really been kind of leading the charge on that. And they've also in turn been really supportive of the accessible insulin pump campaign. So for that one, we, we let the diabetes heavy hitters lead the way and, and we tend to support them on that. And especially as some legislation just went through um, in the last year or so that was, um, I think it's called something like a framework for a National Diabetes Act. And hopefully that federal legislation is going to address some of these, you know, really big inequities that we have across Canada right now. So how is the campaign going? It's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, I think we are making good progress, but I mean, I, I say that as, um, you know, what I'm hoping in my lifetime, we see some changes, right? Because it's uh, something that I, I thought was easy, but there's a lot of red tape and behind the scenes stuff that I wasn't privy to, right? I thought it was, hey, let's just make an app and okay, here you go, right? I mean... Yeah. 14 year olds make apps, right. And put them on the, the, the Google play store and stuff. So I thought it was a, a little bit easier, but I'm, I'm hoping that um, our voices are being heard and I'm hoping that they see the need. Um, Cause it's not, I mean, as much as I'm griping about it, I'm not the only one. Uh, I know there's many, many people out there that would benefit even people that don't classify as a CNIB client or someone with vision loss. Maybe they're just, a senior citizen and they wear glasses. I mean, there, there's got to be some, you know, features that could help them too, right? When you look at universally designing this, don't design it after with accessibility in the background, design it up front with um, options, that, you know, that are available. Like maybe they're just running in the background and nobody ever knows. Like people use my cell phone and they don't know that there's a voiceover that I can turn off and on until you have to go and use that, right? Just as an example, I mean, let's let's get going with, with that kind of stuff and then we'll be talking. And I think back to like where we were even a couple of years ago, and um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this who are diabetics with sight loss who have been, you know, telling the companies for years this is an issue. And even when CNIB first started on this, we were reaching out to the manufacturers and trying to even just get an initial meeting and we, we weren't really getting any response at all. And then fast forward to now, as Ryan was saying, working with uh, different manufacturers and even them reaching out to the community and asking people to sign an NDA and bringing them into the design process and consulting with people who are blind or partially sighted. Like to me, that is in itself already just we've come so far and I just really want to continue to build that pressure. And especially in the US, they're, they're also doing a, a really great job with uh, the FDA and um, different levels of uh, the US government trying to, to fight this fight there as well. So as Ryan said, it's definitely not one of those one and done quick campaigns, but um, I, I definitely feel optimistic for the future for this campaign for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, this is a big step. And I think it is that the conversation is actually happening because at the start, we were sending emails and we were thought they were just getting lost in cyberspace or, you know, we were being ignored. But now we're receiving the emails. So it's um, it's kind of come full circle. And we just got to hope that we can capitalize on on this sort of growth and and hopefully just keep it going. Um, whether, you know, any progress, uh, you know, even if it's like 0.1% getting to that hundred percent accessibility, any little percentage point, uh, is, is favorable in my books as we move closer. Well, where can people find out more information if they want to learn more about the campaign or just about, uh, accessible insulin pups in general? Well, I would suggest just, um, 
going to the CNIB website or if you Google um, CNIB accessible insulin pumps, then it will take you directly to our accessible insulin pump campaign webpage. It has videos of people's testimonials and um, explanation of the issue and, and ways that people can get in, involved. So it's all on the CNIB website. Um, I just don't have a nifty URL that I can give people that is super memorable right now. So the best way is Google it. We'll link to the page for sure in our show notes as well. So people can just check the show notes. Yeah, I guess the only thing just thinking um, of technology that we haven't maybe touched on, um, and it's really early days right now, but there is um, a company out in the US and it's, uh, it's actually owned by a blind entrepreneur who has diabetes and he is working with different engineers across the world to develop the prototype for the first insulin pump that's accessible. Um, I guess going back to the earlier conversation, you know, apps are great for many people, you know, who love their phones and uh, are tech savvy, but there's still a lot of people out there that don't want to use a smartphone or can't afford to or, or whatever the reason is. And um, I think that's also really exciting to see where that goes. They're in the process of, of getting FDA approval right now. But as we all know, what happens in the US, Canada hopefully isn't too far behind. So we might even see something like that in the near future coming to Health Canada, which which would be really cool to see where that ends up. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, apps, I, I think I think going the app route would be the easy solution, um, but it's not necessarily the best one because at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. Some people, some seniors, you know, don't, don't have a smartphone or you can't afford a smartphone or their smartphone is older and won't run the app. I mean, there's all kinds of issues when you're relying on an app or the same thing, you know, you lose your, your, your internet connection on your phone. There's all kinds of things that can sort of go south on you when you're relying on, a, on an app, especially when it's, when it's accessibility. Keep in mind too, it's only been in the last couple of years that Apple came out with all the health sensors in their Apple watch, right? So how long was that in development before it was released to the public and how long did the approvals take to, you know, meet the different restrictions around the world? So, I can understand this taking some time and, and now that Apple has shown that you can use sensors to do certain types of things, it shouldn't be much of a push and it sounds like the conversation has been started. So it sounds like there's hope. There's always That's what we're hoping for. Yeah. And like you said, um, Apple with their sensors, I mean, everybody, nobody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be a quick second in the technology game kind of thing. Right. So it's, it's just a matter of time, like we even touched on before. Oh, there's going to be a pump company that does this with an app or this or that. And you know what? Everybody will follow suit kind of thing. Well, listen, Ryan and Kat, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this. I hope to have you guys back to discuss the world's first accessible insulin pump. Thanks so much for having us. And uh, thanks for giving us the platform. I hope all of your listeners uh, enjoy. And special thanks to, I believe you said her name was Bev, for, for recommending us. Uh, I had a great time chatting with you guys. Excellent. Well, you know, if you have other stuff that comes up in your, uh, in your careers here that uh, needs to be shared, do keep us in mind. We have at least four or five people listening. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, listen, have a great night. And uh, like I said, we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Absolutely. everyone. Have a good evening. Thanks, you as well. Thank you. Well. I'm, I tell you guys, I'm really, really shocked at this. I, I, I'm with Steve. I just cannot believe that, that this has not been addressed after how many years of these pumps being around. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's bizarre, particularly given that stat that, you know, it's the leading cause of, of vision loss for working age yeah. adults in the States. You'd think there's a huge market there that would be demanding it but apparently not it well, really stinks because it's going to take somebody who who lives with diabetes who's a prominent figure who's going to have to put some pr muscle behind the cause that that's usually what it takes to get some 
real widespread attention, um, unfortunately. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But although I think that CNIB is doing doing it right because you know having these campaigns and gaining visibility and educating people uh, about these issues is I I think half the battle. I mean, hey, just look at us. I mean, we're pretty dialed into to accessibility issues and you know the disability community and i had no idea that this was this was a thing um you know and, and i don't think any of us did it took a, a listener to to email us and, and ask us to cover this um to really to really learn about it so i think that that's really one of the big keys here is that you know there just needs to be a a, a real a real hard education campaign learning I, about what the lived experience is like for these people who are are living you know trying to deal with these insulin pumps when they're blind or partially sighted well and also the the point that was made during during the interview about how it's unfortunate that it's just the marketing people that seem to come to these meetings and it's not the in, the the design engineers and it's a, a and the truth be told, it's the marketing people, the salespeople who are going to have to kind of create a dollars and cents uh, justification on how much it's going to cost and, you know, what the development will be and how many more pumps will they sell and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, I mean, it really does come down to the, that marketing and business side to, 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 to really constitute some sort of uh, corporate change or, you know, manufacturing change. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's why it can be challenging, I'm sure, going after the manufacturers, because at the end of the day, as much as we'd like to think they want to do the right thing, really, they want to do the thing that is going to make them money or continue to make them money. So it's, you know, those are hard sells. You know, nobody's going to completely redesign their, their device in order to make it accessible and take you know two or three years of development in order to do that and cost their company how many thousands of of dollars to do that just because it's the right thing i think at the end of the day really what what needs to happen is that it it, they need to be mandated they just need to be like it in order to be approved there has to be a certain level of accessibility built into these devices um or or they just don't get approved right Mm mm-hmm Ryan Flurry is all depressed now. He doesn't. He doesn't even want to eat any McDonald's. No. Yeah. Oh, no. I don't think he can get him that depressed. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it would take a lot to to drive me that far down. I listen. If I was McDonald's, I would just make like. I, why don't you just make cheeseburgers like with insulin in them, so that you, then you, oh, the insulin burger or something. Like I don't know. Like, isn't can that be a thing? Self-regulating burger. Yeah. There you go. I, <laughs> The low-carb burger. Yeah. I'll have my pizza with pepperoni, mushrooms, green peppers, and insulin, please. <laughs> I, I want my, my insulin in like a dipping sauce. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you, know, you know, and it's, again, I know we're, we're kind of saying the same thing over and over again, but it what, what pisses me off about this is that I feel like they they would not want to make this improvement to help those in the blind and low vision community. I think that if they realize that, well, this would be a really snazzy thing for everybody else to use, kind of like how, you know, we've talked about this on the, on the program, how things that were designed for accessibility are now becoming mainstream features that able-bodied people love. And, um, you know, like the, you know, voice commands and thing, things, things of that nature. So um, yeah. I think if if people if people who who use the device whether they you know just like we were talking about the universal design say yeah you know I want to be able to, I, this has to have Bluetooth or this has to have you know this functionality or I don't want to have to keep looking down it because I'm multitasking I want to just be able to like you know feel the haptics going off and and whatnot so it, it's it almost has to be a demand of the the actual device and technology being better for lives in general and not just the low vision community yeah yeah it's it's very true it's sad but true sad but true yeah but but i often i also wonder like i feel like maybe sort of the pushback against the idea of an app i wonder if that has a lot to do with 
them being a little bit nervous about an app driving something like and i think that that's that's why ryan was saying that you know you can you can do a lot of monitoring with an app but you can't actually deliver insulin using the app and i'm sure that that's because there's just there's there's too many there's security concerns there's if the app glitches out like they don't want to be responsible for for actually injuring somebody fairly badly by like you know a mistake or or the app glitching out or somebody hacking into their to an app like it's just it it seems to me like it, it, there's just too many variables there because it's um, so much better for somebody to just click a button too many times and give themselves too much insulin that way that's, <laughs> that's a much better way well cat well, even said early on in the conversation that these manufacturers don't even suggest people who are blind use their devices for liability sakes that's see and that's right that's, that's really, ridiculous that's what really got me too, because of the fact that it's the leading cause of blindness in the U.S. Like that's, it's it's not like this is something that's not really connected to that community. It's like literally, it's literally uh, connected. Like, I, it just it blows my mind. Yeah, that, somebody's that, research is falling down somewhere. Cause yeah, the numbers are yeah. out there. Well, I, I, I can't imagine that the numbers are any surprise to them. I think they know. I think that just for a long time, they've gotten a pass on this. And you know what? The technology, the accessibility technology has gotten to a point where, I'm sorry, but no device, no digital device out there has the excuse of, oh, well, we can't really make it accessible because reasons. Like, that just doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, you absolutely could make it accessible if if uh, you design it from the from the ground up with that intent. Mm. So, yep. See, obviously we you just needs to go mainstream. Like if we had like a whiskey pump uh that people could just like plug in and just it delivers like little like, trace amounts of whiskey just to keep them buzzed all day. Um maybe then we could we could get that some probably exists. We'd need a I'd couple be, extra I'd be pumps. Dead already. <laughs> <laughs> No, because you're on and off the wagon all the time. <laughs> we'd have to we'd have to set yours like a morphine drip, where it doesn't matter how times Steve clicks it, it only is going to give him so much whiskey. No, see, you know what? Then Steve, you could hook that up to that uh, that siren that you have. That wherever, whenever the Canucks get a goal, you get a shot. Siren goes off. Yeah, you get a shot. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking now. Yeah, he's thinking. I know. I'm just saying you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong here. Do it yourself, hacks. Mike, let me re re engineer your pump. Sorry, Mike. Mike, can I have that old one you're not using? Where's the schematics for this thing? Whiskey right into the bloodstream, bypass the whole stomach altogether. Oof. All right. Well, all right. Well, let's get out of here, guys. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, hey, you know what? Before we go, uh, I wanted to bring up, well, Ryan actually wanted to bring this up. Uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and and, uh, and talk about it? So because this show is going to be dropped on April 13th, I wanted to remind people about the um, fundraising concert that is happening for the persons with disabilities in the Ukraine happening on April 16th. Uh, the We're With You concert. To check out all the information, when it airs in your time zone and where you can hear it, go to mushroomfm.com. When, when, when is the date of the concert, Ryan? April 16th, next Saturday. Cool. Starting at 11 a.m. Pacific, anyway. And they don't know exactly how long it's going to go for, but currently they're saying some hours. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Did uh, did you hear anything back? Did you? Because now you submitted a song. Did you? Did you? Yeah, you it's going to be aired. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Do you know a time? No. Oh man, I got to listen to everything. You got to listen for hours. Exactly. For some hours. For some hours. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. Yeah. The deadline to submit. Um, we'd have to check the date again, but there is a deadline to submit your musical performances um, if you want it aired for the concert. That's so, so cool. Maybe we can link to that in the show notes, but. Yeah, absolutely. all the details are on mushroomfm.com. Excellent. All right, hey, Liz. Yes, Rob. Um, where 
can people find us? We can be found on the web at atbanter.com. What was that? What happened? <laughs> dot com. Ran, random cowbell? Yeah, clearly. Was the dot com. Okay. Oh, I see. You're trying to start a new thing. <laughs> um, incidentally, I cannot wait for Liz's uh, audiobook. So. But Harry Balls. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> stay, stay, stay tuned for that coming coming next year. Harry Balls with Liz Malone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I really did miss something early on, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> you did. I mean, yeah. Wow. The, Ryan's already promote, doing the book trailers. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously. Oh man. Book yeah. two. Itchy balls with Liz Malone. <laughs> Since, see, this is what happens when you you you, you encourage us. Um, <laughs> Book three: antifungal treatments for hairy balls. <laughs> Boy, you, you, I, I gotta say, Ryan, you you seem to know a lot about ball dysfunction. You know, it's just, is this uh, is this Coming yeah, it's nuts. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That's book four. It's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> oh Lord! How oh, much of that stays in? Uh, okay. Hey, you started uh, it, Rob. I know. I know. I did. I did. I just I thought the sensitivity training would pay off, but it clearly apparently clearly not. Book one, Rob, the instigator. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Quite a library going there, right? (laughs) Yeah, really. Um, Where were we? Okay, what would we get? I think. Oh, hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. Oh, hey, and they can get us on the social medias, eh? Like, we're on Facebook and Twitter, eh? All right, eh? Beauty. Uh, All right. Is that it? Are we done? Yeah, we're done, right? That's it. We're done. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks, of course, to Ryan and Kat for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 